glad y'all are here tonight. I'm SJ, and I'm the intern here. Um, yeah, if we haven't met before, I'd love to meet you after and say hey. Um, if this is your first time here tonight, we're especially glad you're here. Um, so if you've spent any amount of time on social media, which like props to you if you haven't, for real, um, it sometimes feels like Instagram and Facebook have planted this like person in your head, and they start to figure out everything that you've ever wanted, right? Which is absolutely terrifying, for starters. But the advertisements and accounts that pop up are catered specifically for you. Like, y'all have noticed this, right? Um, and, like, sometimes I'll get these ads for these things that you put on your back to fix your posture. It makes me feel super called out. <laughs> and um, it'll make me feel like I'll get, like, all these ads about different clothing companies and that I have to replace my whole identity and style because whatever I have isn't cool enough and that I need to create this new personality that's like this better version that these social media companies are pushing on me. And I don't know if y'all have ever experienced this, but it's like they spy into your life, take your interests and the things people are interested in your area, um, and they tell you you need to make this the center of your life and identity. Otherwise, you're doing it all wrong. You need to buy this cooking set that's $200 or your food will be disgusting forever. <laughs> And as much as I'd love to upgrade my pots and pans that are like, you know, they're, they're all right. <laughs> I don't need to shovel out hundreds of dollars to make my life and personality become what Instagram thinks it should be. Um, and it's not even social media either. It's just like moving to Burlington, Vermont, right? Thinking, oh, everyone's doing X, Y, and Z, and I'm not. And I need to recenter myself to do those things. And then the next thing you know, you're Googling those boots everyone at UVM has. And then you're buying some Blundstones or Doc Martens, <laughs> which I saw a TikTok about recently from a UVM student. And like, no shade if that was you. We've all been there. <laughs> and this desire we all have to find something to base ourselves on, to feel like we have this thing at the center of our lives um, and in our identity is something we all experience at some point in our lives. And these social media companies are smart because they know this. And it's horrible, but they're making a lot of money off of it, right? Um, and in this passage we're looking at tonight from the book of Revelation, last book in the Bible, God is directly speaking into this desire for something to be the center upon our lives. Um, or in other words, something we worship. Because no matter if you name it or not, we all worship something. And David Foster Wallace puts it really well. He says, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what we worship. And in the passage we're looking at tonight, God is inviting us to see what is so compelling about Jesus that we could worship him. That even though the world seems so chaotic and difficult, I mean, we're in a pandemic to begin with, that there's someone in control in the midst of what's going on and that he is worth staying a Christian throughout college. And if you're here tonight and you're still figuring out this whole Jesus thing, um, what is there about Jesus that could bend our hearts away from what we think we're supposed to be based on social media or um, what our friends are doing or what other, in other words, what's comfortable to move towards him into abundant life instead? So tonight we'll be looking at this passage and looking at who the one seated on the throne is and what it looks like to center our lives upon him. So before we jump in, would you join me in praying that God would meet us here in Fleming 101 Help us understand his word. Um, God, thank you so much for these friends here tonight. Thank you for bringing them safely here. Um, we pray for those that are not safe right now in places like Texas and 
that you would just provide shelter for them and um yeah that you would speak into our lives here tonight through your word and through me and um yeah thank you for creating this space for us in your name jesus christ amen so in college i studied art education i went to appalachian state north carolina if you've ever heard of it (laughs) and a big chunk of my course load were art history classes and if any of you have ever taken an art history class before A huge chunk of the class is dedicated to learning about and deciphering all these symbols and themes so that you can like read the images um, of pieces that you look at, like the audience viewed it hundreds of years ago. And while these symbols fly over our head today, they made sense and connected with the people who are around when the piece of art was made. And when we look at passages in scripture like this one, it's really helpful to approach it in a similar way. While the imagery and symbols in this passage don't make sense at first, When we spend time with them, we can see what they mean and what the passage is speaking to us. So if you want to follow along on your handout, um, we see first in verse 3 that around this person on the throne are beautiful gems and stones and a rainbow, which is John describing to us, not John the pastor, John who wrote this. um, John is describing to us just how beautiful and radiant the setting is. He's telling us that the one who sits on the throne, God, is altogether lovely beyond description. From the throne come peals of lightning and thunder, symbols of God's awesome power and might, but also his right to judge. But as you draw near, you see the rainbow all around him. This symbolizes more than God's beauty. It signifies God's grace, too. A rainbow being a sign of God's commitment to humanity, despite our sin and shortcomings. Then in verse 6, we see that there is a sea of glass like crystal, In God's presence, the sea is stilled. He brings order to our chaos. This vision is communicating that chaos will not win against God, and that before the throne, or God's presence, there's true stillness and chaos is subdued. And all of this language and imagery John is communicating is expressing that this throne room is filled with beauty and power and order. The one seated on this throne is unlike any other. The scene he is describing isn't something you would just stumble upon. This is more dazzling and brilliant than even Disney, or whatever your like, best version of Disney is, could ever feel. The person seated on the throne, God, is sheer greatness. And God isn't just sitting in the room by himself. We see in verse 4 that around the throne are 24 thrones, filled with 24 elders that have crowns on their heads. And the 24 symbolize all of God's people, 12 tribes of Israel, and plus 12 apostles. 24 elders symbolizing all of God's people from the Old Testament and the New. And next to the 24 elders, there are these four kind of strange composite creatures. And the four creatures symbolizes completeness in a similar way to the four corners of the earth or the four directions, the four winds. Um, And through these creatures and elders coming together, We see that not only all of God's people are present, but that all of creation is. And they're coming together and worshiping God. They are declaring God's worth through their worship. And they're repeating day in and day out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And holy is just a word that means simply set apart. If something is holy, it is unlike anything else in the rest of the world. So here we see all of creation say this word three times over, and this only happens twice in the Bible. 
Even though the word holy is mentioned 600 times in the whole Bible, the only place it's repeated like this is in the Old Testament when Isaiah experiences a vision of God sitting on a throne with heavenly beings repeating this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This use of saying holy in the Hebrew language is to bring weight and significance to who they are worshiping. This isn't just anybody. This is them saying, he's not just holy. He is really, really, really holy. This throne room is a place where we see total control, total goodness, and total balance. God is being shown here as the one who is in total control now, in the past, and in the future. Which means that despite how chaotic and how out of control our life feels, how college feels, um, how our family situations are, how chaotic our friends are and our situations with them, and how we feel, God is sitting in the throne right now and in control. Sorry, I feel like you're hearing me breathe a lot. I'm going to move it up. Hopefully that's less like... (laughs) Um, And this vision that John is describing is what heaven is like. He's pulling back the curtain, as it is, into heaven. And what we see is not just someone sitting on the throne and in control, but a God who is full of power, full of grace, and altogether holy. And when we wonder what heaven is like, this is it. Communal worship to a God full of grace alongside all of creation. Everything is in its right place. And while this passage brings us great comfort that there's someone in control, right? Um, It is also asking us to see and expose our source and solution to the chaos in our lives. Brings us to our second point, um, which is what does this vision mean for us? So like David Foster Wallace aptly put it, we all worship something, no matter if we've named it before or not. And we see this in the passage that God is meant to exist in the center of the throne room or in the center of our lives. That without God at the center, harmony and balance are off. This, it, things aren't right. And when we replace God with something else to worship at the center to give worth to, we're replacing a God full of power and full of ultimate beauty with something that will never be as good or holy as he is. To put it in a more visual way, um, we have the sun in the center of our solar system. And nothing in the solar system could replace it, right? Like the sun is unique in its ability to bring power and bring stability to our life here on Earth. In other words, the sun is holy or set apart from any other planet or moon or asteroid or comet. The sun doesn't, doesn't give us warmth. It keeps our lives sustained. And with the sun being 303,000 300, whatnot <laughs> times the mass of the Earth, it's heavy. It has weightiness or glory to it, which makes it have just the right amount of gravity that our whole solar system stays together. So we're not flying out into the expanse of nothing. And we're also not crashing, you know, zoom into the sun. And if we replace the sun with the Earth, with Saturn, with Pluto, even ourselves, everything would fall apart. We'd be shot out into the chaos. That Nothing would be able to bring balance that, like the sun can. John mentioned last week that their daughter, Willa, is terrified of volcanoes, even though it's not really a present danger here in Vermont. Um, and when I was her age, that was black holes for me. I watched a documentary about space, 
and they became like my ultimate greatest fear. I would tell all my friends, like, do you realize how scary they are? <laughs> and like, time does not exist in them. That's crazy. And like, if you get near them, they disintegrate everything. You just disappear. And like, that's crazy. And all these other terrifying facts. I was just like, go off about it. <laughs> and it led me to believe that a black hole was for sure the reason I would die. Like, any second it would come. And while I don't think that'll happen anytime soon, um, when we put anything other than God at the center of our lives, it's as if we have a black hole in the center instead of our sun. We replace something that nourishes us, gives us life, with something that eats away at our lives. In other words, an idol, um, which is anything that we put at the center of our lives, isn't God. And when we do that, we put money, we put sex, we put power, we put success, we put wealth, we put ourselves in the middle of our lives. And these things are fun and exciting and pleasurable at first, but quickly we've been consumed by a life um, with, that is exhausting and it's never good enough. Because these things are never going to satisfy our souls, they'll continue to break us and break our hearts. We begin to see the cracks in our soul from the weight that these idols have put on it. Because having sex and having straight A's or watching porn every night after class, whatever it is for you, that make... Um, that we make into an idol, tell us to give me your life, and they continue to take away more and more until we don't have anything left. Like, maybe for you, this looks like worshiping school, right? You put school at the center of everything, and you're on track to graduate with 4.0, you have all these jobs lined up, all these internships, feeling good about it. Seems great, right? And then it's good for a while. Things work out. Um, But work isn't supposed to be what we put our whole life and weight into. The A- minus is never good enough anymore. Your anxiety is becoming a normal part of every day. Um, nothing is good enough for your standards anymore. Um, your work is no longer the failure. You become the failure. And the burnout you experience every day is the norm. Or maybe what you worship is sex. Like, while well, first when you came to college, it was really fun to hook up with strangers. You no longer feel like, oh, I'm missing out, like high school. Um, and you're feeling... But now you're feeling less worthy of a healthy relationship, or maybe you're feeling more unseen or more unwanted. Or maybe for you, sex felt great and the fun in your relationship, but now things are weird, and between the two of you, and you're afraid of this person leaving you, because while you've said yes with your whole body, um, and are committing to this person with your body, you're not actually committed to them. Um, meaning you haven't had a vow in front of your friends and family and the Lord, aka marriage and your bodies are leaving empty promises with one another. Or maybe for you, your worship, you worship success so much that you can't even focus on the day-to-day. Um, you aren't investing in your friendships here because you're already on track to leave UVM, and you aren't slowing down enough to even check in with yourself and see what you're feeling or where your emotion's at or um, like what we did earlier tonight, just like, where am I at? Um, And the only thing that you feel like will make your parents proud is when you get that first big paycheck. And then soon enough, you get that first big paycheck, and then it never is big enough, and then the job you have is never as high as you wanted, Um, and then you're finally forced to sit face-to-face with your loneliness. And the fact is, whatever idol we put at the center of our lives that isn't God is always going to let us down. Um, It's always going to leave us feeling less loved and never good enough. But when we start bending the needle as it is, 
of our life towards God and put him in the center of our lives, our idols start to fall away. We're able to bring our struggles and our chaos to God, not just alone. We get to spend our lives with him. We get to see our lives shift and change into who we were created to be. Our lives are filled with this abundant life, no longer disintegrating and fractured like our idols or our black holes make us. And while this all sounds like a lot of hard work, to shift away from black holes and towards God, he's already paid for our debts to come to him. It's as if our ticket into the throne room has already been paid for. God became human through his son, Jesus, to pay for our debts and suffer for our sins instead of us. He wants us to live a life with him in the throne room so much that he sent his only son to die on a cross in order for us to freely move away from our idols and sin and chaos into a life with him. We don't have to wait until heaven to see him redeem and heal our brokenness. We can bring whatever chaos we feel is too much to him and walk with him as we begin to bring our solar system back into its right place. And life is more natural when we lean into how we're always meant to live. If you look at any good story or movie, um, you can see how everyone is seeking this throne room. Like, have you ever noticed this? In Frozen or Moana or even Harry Potter, all your favorite movies most likely, <laughs> you see this struggle to leave behind what we've centered our lives upon um, that is creating chaos and destruction and leave it behind to move towards something bigger and better. We are all seeking our way into the throne room where everything is made right, where our brokenness is healed, family situations are no longer painful and broken, um, our friendships are no longer harmful or hurtful, and the best news is that we don't have to wait until we're in the throne room in heaven to experience God's goodness and healing. He invites all of us to experience the goodness of the throne room before we even get there. And all that means is accepting his invitation and saying yes to a life alongside him. As Tim Keller puts it in his book, Counterfeit Gods, which dives into a lot of this, so highly recommend, um, he puts this really well. God's salvation does not come in response to a changed life. A changed life comes in response to salvation, offered as a free gift. What would it look like to lean into a life of worship with God, to leave behind our idols and lean into abundant life, to accept the free gift of life into God's kingdom, to lay down what is comfortable, what is natural, what we know, into a life that is good and beautiful and abundant. The life that God invites us into in his throne room loves us more than any of our idols can and is worth our worship. Let's pray.